You're listening to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for tuning in. Last week, Washington Post columnist Jamal Khashoggi uh, went to the Saudi Arabian consulate in Turkey and never came back out. He was a Saudi national who had been critical of the country's royal family and its government. Turkish and American intelligence say this was a hit orchestrated by the Saudi prince himself. Meanwhile, President Donald Trump has been slow to accept that determination. The situation raises serious questions about the relationship between America and its close ally, and it reminds of the dangers that still attend press freedom in the Middle East and around the globe. That is where we want to continue the conversation today. And uh, here to talk a little more about what is going on is Ali Harp. He is a Dearborn-based Arab-American journalist of Lebanese descent. Ali, welcome to Detroit Today. Good morning. Yes. Uh, So let's start with your reaction to this story. I have to say, as a journalist, uh, anytime you see uh, harm come to a journalist for their work, uh, it's it's jarring. Uh, This was particularly jarring, I think, because of the implications that a government uh, may have been involved in uh, killing this columnist for what he said. Uh, what was your re- reaction I mean, to this? It's, it's horrifying, and there are several levels that make it even scarier, um, starting with the fact that he was reportedly killed on foreign soil, mm-hmm. that uh, many governments across the world have a history of repression against journalists, but for a government to dare and go after critics outside of its territory, uh, that's a sort of a, another level of repression. Um, some of the grisly details that had been associated with this particular incident because Khashoggi went into the consulate to retrieve paperwork, personal paperwork. Um, he never came out. Mm-hmm. So the New York Times reported things about a bone saw. I mean, that that is terrible, horrifying. It's It's a horror movie. Um, and, and another level is for us in the United States that this is a very close U.S. ally. Traditionally, this is not a Trump thing. The Saudi, Air, Saudi government has been our number one ally mm-hmm. in the region. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and the Saudi government holds a lot of uh, leverage over uh, the U.S. government, over Washington in terms of arms sales. They buy a lot of weapons from us. Uh, in terms of oil production, they control the oil market globally because of how much they produce. Uh, so it's it's very disheartening what's happening. Yeah, um, <clears throat> this this uh, this idea of targeting a columnist like uh, Jamal Khashoggi. Uh, what was it? What was it that he did that made him stand out to the to the Saudis, so, uh, allegedly. I mean, we don't know for sure that they did this, but the, the intelligence believes they did. What was it that that made them respond this way? I mean, torture uh, and and death, uh, that's just not something that happens every day to, to journalists. Well, one thing to know about Khashoggi, that he is not um, an outspoken, like, opposition activist. Mm-hmm. He always described himself as a journalist. He even refused to be branded as a dissident. Uh, Khashoggi comes from the Saudi government. He comes from a place uh, in, uh, in the world where you can be a journalist 
and still can be very close to the government in terms of being a media advisor, a PR spokesperson. Hmm. So he knows the Saudi system very well. And and as the crackdown on freedoms grew, um, and as he began to speak out against some of the terrible things that are going on in Saudi Arabia, and as he began to speak out particularly about Saudi Arabia's partnership with President Donald Trump, Mm -hmm. he started to feel like it's not safe for him at home. Uh, So he made his way out safely into Washington. He was living between Washington and Istanbul, which makes it another level of why Americans should care because he was living in Washington and he started writing for the Washington Post these very powerful and influential columns in English uh, about the inner workings of the royal family, about the missteps, about uh, the shortcomings of the Saudi government. And I think because he knows how how the royal family works, and because he has such a global platform, he was particularly dangerous uh, to the plans of, of the crown prince, yeah. of the powerful crown prince in Saudi Arabia. Are they sending a message to other journalists by doing this? I, I think they're sending a message not only to other journalists, to anyone who would dare to threaten uh, their view of how the kingdom should should run and how the broader Middle East should run. Mm-hmm. Uh, because if you think about it, there were other ways to silence someone uh, where you would retain plausible deniability. But somebody comes into your council and never emerges that, you know, you did it. Right. And, and and they're starting to accept that responsibility as their reports came out yesterday. So they want the world to know uh, that they can operate with impunity. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, This is Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson. My guest is Ali Harb. He is a Dearborn-based Arab-American journalist. We're talking about the disappearance and probable murder of Washington Post columnist Jamal Khashoggi. Uh, He went to the Saudi consulate in Turkey and never came back out. We're talking about what that means in the context of U.S.-Saudi relations. We're talking about what it means in the context of relationships between Donald Trump, our president, and Saudi Arabia. He has a lot of personal connections to Saudi Arabia. Uh, We're also talking about press freedoms and how they may be threatened, not just around the globe, but right here in the United States. If you want to join the conversation, give us a call, 313-577-1019. Tell us what you think about this sort of stunning news, the idea of uh, a journalist for an American newspaper uh, being captured and killed uh, on foreign soil. Uh, Tell us what you think about the relationship between the United States and Saudi Arabia. Is it uh, being handled the way it should? Should we be tougher with Saudi Arabia about its human rights abuses at home? Uh, also, tell us what you think about press freedoms, where we are with press freedoms, especially in this country right now with President Donald Trump naming the press the enemy of the American people. Is this the kind of thing that fuels killings of journalists not just around the globe, but right here in the United States. Again, 313-577-1019 is the number. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page and put comments there, or you can go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, and we will work you into the conversation. Uh, Ali, I want to talk about uh, Dearborn uh, and uh, what the reaction 
looks like there to something like this? Is this something that uh, people are really talking about uh, in Dearborn where you have a lot of uh, descendants uh, from the Middle East? Uh, I mean, people are generally horrified. And and uh, people in Dearborn are not big fans of the Saudi government anyway. Mm-hmm. Uh, the general population is not uh, because of the war in Yemen, because of the rise of extremism in Iraq, because of some of the things that happened in Lebanon. So these three Lebanese and Yemeni and uh, Iraqi communities in, in Dearborn, they are a bit skeptical of, of the Saudi government already. Mm-hmm. So with this happening, uh, dare I say, people are not too surprised, but they are still terrified. Uh, and and people are starting to question, is anyone safe? Because if, if the Saudis are able to reportedly, again, we don't want to accuse anyone before, right. uh, to reportedly go and kill and dismember someone in Turkey, why can't they do it in Europe? Why can't they do it even in the United States? That's why what people are demanding, uh, not only in Dearborn, but you know, free voices across the world are demanding a very stern response from the quote-unquote free world from the West uh, to, to tell Saudi Arabia this is not okay. Yeah, yeah. Uh, in the context of the Middle East, talk about uh, the role of... Saudi Arabia and its behavior and the way uh, folks in the Middle East view uh, the difference between the way the United States deals with Saudi Arabia and many other countries uh, in that region. Well, uh, Saudi Arabia has been a very powerful geopolitical player in the Middle East for, you know, since since its inception. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and since FDR gave his uh, uh, wheelchair King Abdulaziz Al Saud. <laughs> so we have in the United States a relationship that goes way back with the Saudi government, despite uh, what you would call ideological differences. Uh, Saudi government embraces a very ultra-conservative brand of Islam that many critics say is the root of um, extremism mm-hmm. that we had been seeing across the world. Uh, still, successive administrations, Democrat and Republicans, kept this steady relationship with Riyadh and with Saudi Arabia uh, for several reasons. It's it's a relationship that's based on interests. If Saudi Arabia shuts off the taps of oil, uh, we may end up paying six, seven dollars per gallon at the pump. Uh, Saudi Arabia buys billions of dollars worth of weapons uh, from the United States that creates a lot of jobs. Uh, in turn, how they use those weapons uh, in the Middle East is, is a different question of ethics because the war in Yemen has been going on for three years and it's, uh, uh, it's powered by, by American weapons and by American intelligence and, and by American refueling of Saudi jets and 10,000 civilians have been killed. Mm-hmm. The country is on the verge of famine. Uh, there is an outbreak of cholera. Uh, but going back to the United States, uh, People in Washington generally, uh, they want things that create jobs and selling weapons creates jobs at home. Uh, what I would say is that Trump took this relationship, this already cozy relationship with Saudi Arabia to another level. Uh, his first his first trip outside the country was not to Mexico or Canada, which is what the tradition is, right. was to Saudi Arabia. Yeah. Uh, when uh, 
Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman locked up dozens of his uh, royal cousins and businessmen and forced them to pay financial settlements uh, and locked up dozens of journalists and analysts who had opposed his visions. Our president tweeted the Saudi rulers know exactly what they're doing and I have full confidence in them. That has, in my opinion, emboldened them mm. to go further. Uh, but in, in the Middle East, Saudi Arabia is seen as um, a very powerful state, yet uh, it has a lot of foes. So Turkey and Saudi Arabia don't get along very well, which is you know another detail to note when talking about Khashoggi's mm -hmm. murder in Turkey. Uh, Saudi Arabia has, uh, in partnership with the UAE, and Bahrain and Egypt isolated Qatar, which is another U.S. ally. Uh, Saudi Arabia has uh, strong animosity towards Iran, uh, and they have like a very uh, intense Cold War going on that's unfolding across the Middle East. So by no means is Saudi Arabia this like oasis of stability uh, that's bringing about uh uh, stability to the region. It's mm -hmm. not. It's it's involved in a lot of conflicts with its neighbors. Yeah. Uh, again, three one three five seven seven one zero one nine is the number on the phones. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page, or go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today. We'll work you into the conversation. Uh, Ali, uh, you were born in Lebanon and hold dual citizenship there. Is I that do. Right. Um, and you also travel a lot covering foreign relations as an American journalist. Uh, but with the perspective of a foreign national, talk about uh, how you see your job and whether you fear that uh, that things you say are right uh, might might be taken uh, poorly by by governments uh, that in in the countries where you visit. Uh, what, what does that look like from your seat? To be frank, I've I've never given it much thought. Like. What have I written that would disqualify me from going somewhere or that would get me in trouble? Uh, but uh, going forward, what happened to Khashoggi, I think I will be more careful hmm. because anything that you've written, even if it's seemingly un innocent to you or mild to you, uh, somebody may have taken it the wrong way. Uh, one of the things I had uh, been thinking about lately, can I go to the Holy Land to cover the events in, in Israel and the Palestinian territories? Well, Israel has a law that says if you support boycott in Israel, you would be refused entry in, into the country. And I had written extensively about the subject, and uh, it's not only refusal of entry. You may be detained for several days at the airport. So mm -hmm. so it's it's these things I'm starting to think about. And... and there are parts of the world where a tweet can land you in jail or worse, in the case of Khashoggi, get you killed. Yeah, yeah. Uh, when you are in Lebanon, for instance, uh, do, you, do you get the sense that people there are fearful about the way in which uh, our president and his rhetoric has changed or maybe emboldened uh, governments in the Middle East to do things that uh, that are not acceptable? Definitely. Oh, definitely. I mean, in the past, uh, American administrations have always been seen with a lot of skepticism and um, sometimes more than skepticism, like loathing, I would say. Hmm. Uh, but there is certainly now a feeling that 
we're not dealing with someone who's pursuing American interests at all costs. We're dealing with someone who's unstable. I mean, people would stop me in the street when I'm talking to them and say, oh, that Trump dude is crazy. You know, like there is no telling what he may do. Mm -hmm. And this is this is a prevalent sentiment in, in, in Lebanon, at least, hmm. that uh, if if anything uh, breaks out in terms of conflict or war, uh, people would be very fearful of, of uh, President Trump. Yeah. Okay. Ali Harb, Dearborn-based Arab-American journalist, thanks very much for being with us here on Detroit Today. Thank you for having me. Up next, we're going to continue our conversation about Jamal Khashoggi with Saeed Khan from Wayne State University. Also, tomorrow on the program, we will speak with Gretchen Whitmer, the Democratic candidate for governor here in the state of Michigan. Stay tuned for more Detroit Today. You're listening to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for tuning in. We are talking about the disappearance and probable murder of Washington Post columnist Jamal Khashoggi uh, after visiting the Saudi consulate in Turkey. And joining us now to talk more about the relationship between the United States and Saudi Arabia is Saeed Khan. He is a senior lecturer of Near and Middle East History and Politics at Wayne State University. Saeed, welcome to Detroit Today. Thanks for having me back, Stephen. So uh, I, I want to talk with you uh, specifically about uh, first the Saudi royal family uh, and the, the strangeness, I guess, that attends their relationships with various people around the globe. It, it seems odd, I think, to a lot of people, the idea that they would have it out for, for instance, uh, a, a journalist and uh, perhaps orchestrate this kind of uh, disappearance and probable murder. But this is a family that has tense relationships with a number of individuals around the globe. And at times, you have been one of those individuals. Well, in a, certainly in a lesser and uh, perhaps I should say uh, uh, perhaps in a, in a way that uh, didn't have the same outcome as Mr. Khashoggi, uh, they seem to, on the one hand, uh, have fairly solid relationships with many of the governments around the world, uh, particularly those in Western Europe and here in the United States. Uh, and it's all transactional because of oil. At the same time, given the kind of protection, given the kind of security and stability that one might feel with having those kinds of relationships, irrespective of uh, which administrations might be in power in these various countries, uh, the Saudis are very, very insecure when it comes to anything which would seemingly threaten the image along with their own uh, political buoyancy as monarchs in the Gulf. And so I had my own interaction with um, 
the Saudis as far back as 2011 in the midst of the Arab Spring giving an interview on, uh, well, on a competitor radio show on the BBC uh, in which I was critical of the regime uh, in the uh, context of the Arab Spring. And I was told by the, uh, the Saudi embassy in, uh, in London that uh, I was no longer welcome in the kingdom. Mm-hmm. It was rather strange that last year uh, I happened to be a guest of uh, the royal family uh, to perform the Hajj. Uh, so it's uh, it's one of these situations where it's difficult to necessarily pinpoint where the Saudis and how the Saudis feel on any particular given issue on any particular day. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was told that the Saudis had turned a new page and they wanted to demonstrate that they could effectively take a punch, uh, take criticism. Uh, but obviously there's uh, certain lines in the sand, so to speak, that are drawn. And when it came to Mr. Khashoggi, uh, it seems as though he had crossed that line. So, so that makes it difficult, I think, given uh, given the, the the relationships at stake here. So we have President Trump saying that he doesn't necessarily believe that the Saudi uh, royal family or the Saudi government was responsible for this. He says it might have been rogue killers. Uh, but then you also have uh, the, the the Saudi family, the Saudi royal fam- family, and the uh, lack of credibility, I guess, that you might attach to what. Uh, to what they say, it, it seems like the kind of situation that is very hard then to discern what's true and and what's not. Well, I think along with that, Stephen, we have to also look at the chicken and the egg metaphor. When the president yesterday uh, said that he speculated this could be rogue killers, we're not sure if those were talking points fed from Riyadh to Washington Mm -hmm. or whether he was floating a trial balloon and offering the Saudis an excuse that they could then go ahead and parrot and then that Washington could go ahead and say, yes, we find that plausible, we believe you, and this will go ahead and bring down the tensions between the two governments. And uh, let's talk about the tensions between the two governments. The, the relationship with the Saudis is one that gets criticized an awful lot by people in this country who say there's a double standard at play, that that uh, some of the behavior that uh, that government is, is involved in is similar to other countries, and we punish those other countries for it. Meanwhile, we never really say very much about uh, the Saudi government or the things that it that it may be doing. Uh, how does that all how does that all sort of envelop around this particular incident? Well, it's not just this particular incident, Stephen. I would say it's uh, this particular region. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's amazing how much oil will cleanse all manners of sins. We saw this happening uh, prior to 1979 with Iran, where American categorical support for the Shah. Uh, was such that he was able to do any number of egregious uh, violations when it came to human rights within his own country, given the fact that he had at the time uh, shown his bona fides by being staunchly anti-communist in the midst of the Cold War. uh, The United States uh, then declared Iran to be, along with Saudi Arabia, its two most important strategic allies in the Persian Gulf, allowing uh, both countries to purchase any any non-nuclear weapons in the American arsenal. And we'll get to the whole issue about weapons when it comes to the $110 billion pledge that the Saudis are going to buy American weaponry. But the Saudis have also gone ahead and marched lockstep with that model. And we find that there has been a tremendous
tremendous level of deference, not only for what occurs domestically within Saudi Arabia, but also when we find an increasingly destabilizing policy led by Crown Prince uh, Mohammed bin Salman, who many speculate to be behind uh, the alleged uh, murder of uh, Jamal Khashoggi. Mm -hmm. The uh, prosecution of uh, the war in Yemen ostensibly against Iran is just one such example. And so because Saudi Arabia has now demonstrated in a very full-throated way that it is America's frontline ally in this conflict uh, that exists with Iran, uh, the United States will certainly go ahead and look uh, the other way. It's no longer just about oil. It's also about regional uh, geopolitical and geostrategic interests. Mm -hmm. This is Detroit Today on 101.9 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and my guest is Saeed Khan. He's a senior lecturer of Near and Middle East history and politics at Wayne State University. We are talking about the disappearance and probable murder of Washington Post columnist Jamal Khashoggi, uh, who was visiting the Saudi consulate in Turkey. Uh, Said, what would be a reasonable response to something like this from the United States? Let's say that uh, the relationship between the United States and Saudi Arabia were maybe a little healthier and a little more honest. Uh, what could you do about something like this that would uh, that would not see be that would not seem weak, but would also not seem like an over response? Well, first of all, I think that there has to be uh, a bit more honesty when it comes to what exactly the United States wants to project. If the relationship truly is transactional, and if it really is based on a level of pragmatism that it is, was, and always will be, first and foremost, if not exclusively, about oil, then I think that that needs to be articulated, not just to the American public, but really also uh, on, a, on an international level, because the rest of the world is listening to what America says, and they want to see if the values that are projected really align with then the policies that America takes, and as you said before, whether this then represents a double standard. At the very least, it seems that this kind of egregious violation, which again, and it's, uh, it's certainly a bitter pill to swallow, but the United States hasn't exactly had hands clean on matters like this. Uh, a lot of people will go ahead and say, well, this is the Trump era, and it has emboldened people like uh, Mohammed bin Salman in Saudi Arabia, Duterte in Philippines, Modi in India, uh, even Putin in Russia, to act in these extrajudicial ways. But we have to remember our own record when it came to interrogations on Guantanamo Bay. Mm -hmm. We have to also think about uh, the ghosts of Salvador Allende in Chile, uh, Patrice Lumumba in the Congo, uh, several leaders who, uh, whom the United States has certainly neutralized uh, because they didn't align with American policies at the time. So that kind of realignment of reality and rhetoric, I think, would be very important. But in the short term, there needs to be at least some demonstration of displeasure. Now, it is true that uh, the, the, the Saudis, for better or for worse, are a major strategic ally of the United States in the region, so it will not go to the level of recalling ambassadors or creating a tremor when it came to 
uh, the kinds of diplomatic relations and steps that would be taken. But at the very least, uh, a step in the right direction would be to suspend uh, the arms sales uh, for a uh, certain period of time, just to at least show the Saudis uh, that uh, these kinds of actions uh, will not go through uh, without some kind of uh, discomfort and really rebuke from the United States. That would seem in the totality of things to be at least a reasonable uh, gesture. But if the president seems to have already taken that off the table by saying that it really is about the arms deal and I don't want to risk jobs and I don't want the United States to lose out on this to uh, other countries around the world because the Saudis pay cash and it's a very lucrative deal, mm-hmm. uh, then I'm afraid there's a very few options that are uh, remaining. Yeah. Uh, this is Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and my guest is Saeed Khan, Senior Lecturer of Near and Middle East History and Politics at Wayne State University. Uh, we are talking about the disappearance and probable murder of Jamal Khashoggi, uh, who is a Washington Post columnist visiting the Saudi consulate in Turkey. Uh, I, I want to ask about the free speech implications of this, the press implications of this. Uh, in this country... The press is free to say whatever it wants to say, and we very rarely see retribution against journalists for things that they have said or written. That's not true around the globe. Uh, it is a very dangerous world uh, in many instances for people who, who speak their minds. What does uh, Khashoggi's uh, fate tell us about the dangers of uh, free speech, at uh, the exercise of free speech in the Middle East and uh, around the globe? Well, I think it is, uh, at the very least, something that can be described as chilling, Stephen. Uh, and again, we see people with whom this administration has very, very amicable relations uh, taking their actions against uh, journalists who run afoul of official policy. Uh, Vladimir Putin, for example, has made it a cottage industry of going after journalists, not only within Russia, uh, but in several countries. Of course, uh, the most notorious of this is his actions within Great Britain uh, of of late. And this is something that has become a modus operandi for for Putin. And I I dread that this is going to be something that others will feel emboldened. But it doesn't have to get to even the level of poisoning someone's sushi or uh, uh, killing somebody allegedly in in a uh, consulate. Uh, We see examples of this even when it comes to the kind of private sector agitation uh, that occurs when leaders either call uh, journalists uh, the enemy of the people uh, or when they go ahead and uh, suggest that perhaps uh, the people should engage in a kind of vigilante justice. In a country like India, the world's uh, largest uh, uh, democracy, we see that uh, Prime Minister Narendra Modi has taken action in his rhetoric to go ahead and demonize any kind of press that would be critical not only of him, but his uh, Hindu nationalist uh, BJP party. Mm-hmm. This has caused then uh, a uh, an avalanche of negative criticism uh, on the uh, comments page, death threats against journalists, death threats against uh, even the entire newspaper uh, building. And uh, I have friends who, in fact, uh, were working in uh, India as journalists, as editors, who found that the climate had become so toxic that they ended up having to resign their positions and uh, and essentially get out of Dodge. Hmm. Uh, I also wonder what you make of President Trump's role here, given what you alluded to there, his his designation of the press as the enemy of the people. If there is not a response to this 
from the United States, does it sort of build on his animosity toward the press or his tense relationships with the press in this country? Does it embolden people here to maybe do some of the things that we see happening around the globe to journalists? Well, I think that that train has left the proverbial station, Stephen. There have been several uh, uh, cases here in the United States uh, where, fortunately, uh, people have been apprehended before acting on those impulses. Mm -hmm. Uh, Letters are sent to um, editorial boards every single day, to newspapers, Mm -hmm. uh, some of them containing white powder, uh, not sure whether it is anthrax or ricin or it is just a hoax, uh, but uh, accompanied not only by threats to uh, newspapers and other media outlets, but the language uh, of those who are making these threats eerily mirrors that, uh, parrots that which is coming from uh, the Oval Office. Mm-hmm. So we see then that there's clearly a nexus, there's clearly a connection between uh, the president's rhetoric and people feeling emboldened to then act on that. This reminds me of uh, uh, the uh, King of England, uh, Henry II, who said, who will rid me of this meddlesome priest? And then four very enterprising knights marched down to uh, Canterbury and killed uh, the Archbishop, uh, Sir Thomas a. Beckett. That, I think, is perhaps even more of a worrisome trend than even uh, a government taking action when it comes to democracies in the West. The fact that because we have a populist president, he is uh, able to then mobilize people through populist rhetoric to then take matters into their own hands. Mm-hmm. Okay, Saeed Khan, Senior Lecturer of Near and Middle East History and Politics at Wayne State University. Always great to have you here with us on Detroit Today. Always great to be here, Stephen. Thank you. That's going to do it for us today. I'll be back tomorrow. I hope you will, too. This is 1019 WDET, Detroit's public radio station, a community service of Wayne State University. We'll see you tomorrow.